You're listening to the Digital Void Podcast, where we explore digital culture, media, technology, and memes, featuring critical and empowering conversations with experts at the forefront of our digital moment. My name is Josh Chapteling, and my co-host is Dr. Jamie Cohen. TikTok is front and center as Congress deliberates a total ban of the app, but we wanted to take time to focus on a persistent issue Black creators face on the platform, credit where it's due. When TikTok's popularity exploded in early 2020, so too did its association with popular dance trends. However, the app has long struggled to empower creators to receive credit for their choreography. This week, we'll explore how TikToker Jordan Williams's popular No Love Dance is the latest example of a creator fighting to receive credit and what the platform can do to help empower creators with Time Reporter Moises Mendez II. Before we begin, we recently announced our first festival of the year, Memes, Myths, and Magic, on Saturday, April 29th at Caveat in New York City. Join an all-star lineup of speakers, including Annie Rauerda, C.T. Jones, Moises Mendez II, Ryan Broderick, Jamie Cohen, and many more. Tickets and live stream are now available. You can find the link, as well as references to everything in today's conversation, in this week's show notes. Here's this week's guest, Moises Mendez II. It is my pleasure to welcome Moises Mendez II, a continued Digital Void collaborator at our live events, back to the Digital Void podcast for the second time. Moises, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Yes, thank you guys so much for having me. Excited to be here again. It's been a while. Yeah. Last time we talked, you were, I believe, a freelance writer coming off of a stint at Insider, and now you are a full-time reporter at Time. So congratulations. And uh, it's actually the work that you're doing that is super important that we wanted to call you to speak to you again about. You wrote a piece that was published last week. Jordan Williams is here to take credit for her viral TikTok dance. Late last year, TikToker Jordan Williams posted a TikTok of an original dance she choreographed to a song titled No Love by J.K. Mack. Can you first walk us through Williams's backstory and then how her dance went viral on TikTok? Yeah. So she told me that when she was in high school, she started doing majorette dance. She was trained by someone who used to be a stingette, which is the dance team at Alabama State University, which also I noted appeared in Beyonce's Homecoming. They're all incredible and just HBCU culture in general is fascinating and they're all just so talented. So for her to have this background with these incredible dancers, it makes sense that she was able to like choreograph this dance and like put it together and put it out online and people really enjoyed it. Um, And she told me that she just was in a bad place when she choreographed this dance and she was like using her passion to get out of it. So when she posted the dance and she saw that it started going viral, she was like obviously excited. This is a, a fun thing that is happening and people were like, really happy that they have a new dance that is going viral people want to do it and you're seeing celebrities do it but she started to notice that people weren't crediting her in the the captions of their videos so she had to like start this journey of just regaining the credit that was rightfully hers from the beginning so from that she says that she's 
happy that people love her dance, but she's also gone through a lot. She's gone through a journey, and I don't know where she is on that journey now. I don't know if she's at the end of it, in the middle. She's on it. So she's on this journey, but she's part of a larger systemic issue on TikTok and for BIPOC creators in general. So can you explain some of the frustration that kind of surfaced Williams' journey and how it's part of a larger trend? So I wrote a story back in 2021 for Rolling Stone about why it's hard for Black creators to get the credit that's due to them. And it was a retrospective looking at the TikTok, a year since the TikTok strike, which goes back even further to the Renegade Dance created by Julia Harmon and the Savage Dance that was created by uh, Kiara Wilson. And it has just been a mounting number of these instances where Black people create really popular trends, dances, anything on the app, and then it gets commodified or credited to a white person. The TikTok strike in June of 2020 saw a lot of these Black creators banding together saying, you know what, we should just not create content anymore because people are not going to respect us and give us the credit that we deserve. So in June 2021, there was still this problem happening. And TikTok has really done a lot to try and rectify the problem. But it's still not enough because a lot of the responsibility falls on the creators that are, you know, mimicking these dances and doing the trends and doing all that when they see these things and should know I have to put dance credit in the caption or I'm inspired by. So now it's like two years since that strike and that problem is still persisting and we're seeing it with Jordan. And when this problem came up on my For You page and I saw it with the TikToker Khalil Green, he posted his video saying there's this majorette dance that is going viral on TikTok and people are crediting it to a K-pop group or crediting it to someone else. And the creator is actually Jordan Williams and we should give her her flowers. I immediately was brought back to the story from 2022 and I you know, was writing about this problem that had been going on for so long. So I told my editors, I was like, we need to talk to this girl and ask her about her journey and also this problem that has been persisting on this app for far too long. And she was very hopeful. She's really happy. It's crazy for someone to create something and people love that thing so purely and they're like, I want to be a part of this thing, whatever. So for her to then come and talk about it and be like, I love that people are doing this, but I want people to know that I made it. So it's been a lot on her. So I commend her. Yeah. And first, say, congrats on the, the role at Time. I think it's incredibly important for internet culture to be brought into different outlets. And I appreciate your writing style and your, your, your way of talking about these subjects. So thank you. I, I'm glad. Uh, congrats. You were just speaking. How, how old is Jordan Williams? 19. 19. So she's a young woman who is beginning her career. And as a majorette, that a lot of that is a competitive space regardless of TikTok or not. Let me ask you this from an environmental perspective. Many of my students, especially drama and theater and dance students, are required to have social media presence. So I'm sure that at some point, Jordan Williams was told or at least knew that that part of the career is like having a presence. When you spoke to Jordan Williams, was there any pre-fear of knowledge that this could happen, that somebody could steal their art and take that? Or is that not a thought of a young woman's mind when they create a dance for a mass product. You know, when I spoke to her, she knew she wanted to go viral and she wanted to be a content creator. She's like, there are a lot of people that I've followed and have followed for years. And I'm like, I want to be like that. So, you know, I told her, I was like, I commend anyone who's a content creator because there's no playbook. You don't know what's going to happen. There's something new, controversies or scandals. There's all this and all of that is interesting and, you know, in its own right. But 
I don't know if she knew that this is a thing that happens, but she has known that like other people have done it before. She mentioned Jalea. She said that Jalea was missing out on opportunities to get brand deals or sponsorships. There were other opportunities for her after she was known as the creator. So she's like, why don't I get that now? Like, why don't I get the credit for it? Because I'm going to be missing out on opportunities like that. So she knew the ramifications of not getting credit. So that's why she wants to like really make it known. Like, this is my dance. So I, I think, I mean, you know the statistic as well as I do. But young people now, I think it's 26% of Gen Z are interested in being some sort of influencer, YouTuber, creator of some sort. You know, I think that's just like, it's not just about the field being lucrative, because it really isn't. Uh, but it's about uh, visibility. It's about in each era, whoever is the most prominent thing that appears in front of your face in a consistent way. And I think people of color, it, there's obviously a, an inherent bias that comes with many of these tech platforms. You know, it comes from downstream of these things that are already biased before the entry point. And I, I you mentioned before, and I ask, I want to ask you about this. You said TikTok tried to do something about it. What, like, what does that mean? Like, that TikTok is two things, a company and a group of people. It's 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 like a reliance on who or what is trying to do something about it. Well, I mean, obviously, for the story that I wrote for Rolling Stone, I had to reach out to TikTok and say, I'm writing this piece about Black creators struggling to get credit for their work. And they told me that they are creating tools for people to put inspired by in the captions are dance credits, or they're helping people learn how to find the original creator by some sort of tool that they have on their app. They're doing these small steps, but it's just, you know, seeing it from 2023 and seeing like the way that this problem has persisted with Jordan, like I'm still seeing her dance and still, you know, there's different iterations of her dance that are being used to like splice together the choreography with another dance. And it's like, nobody knows who is the actual creator for that dance. And still people don't know about the low love challenge or the hair weight challenge. And it's just, it's just a mess. Like there's so many things and it's, it spreads like wildfire because I also saw there was a similar dance to um, Jordan's, but it's set to get money by junior mafia, like sort of like a sped up version. And that was the one that I first saw and I was like, Oh my God, I love this dance. It's so fun. And I was like, okay, there's this other dance, but then they put them together and then, it's set to a different song and there's other audios and it's just that's how these apps, like these dances blossom on these apps like they just start being done by different people and then people put them to different sounds but then nobody creates the first creator and then it goes everywhere so i don't know exactly how people can like streamline the process to be like okay well this original choreography was made by this person and then there's the variations of this and, but i think jordan is making it known and doing a pretty good job of being like, this is my dance, this is the credit that I deserve. So there's a cumulative view count that comes from everybody who's copying Jordan Williams's piece. And you, in July's piece and Kira Wilson's dance and like all of these things are usurped by typically white creators, pre-popular white creators. And and I, I know we like to often pick on uh, like Charlie or we, we like to pick on like <laughs> we and and for good reason but it's it's the lack of credit is obviously prominent you know that's the the most important thing how does a creator especially somebody like jordan williams get the numbers back like that's not it's not fair jordan williams is right there is a loss of opportunity that comes from this because that's how tiktok works and so does most social media and so my students often say you know the, the worst shame that they could feel 
is when somebody says to them, oh, I saw Charlie do this. And they knew, they know in their head, they Charlie didn't. Yeah, I mean, look, it's your question of getting the numbers back. I think creators know that like, you have to get people to see your stuff. So you have to constantly keep posting and posting and posting. So she will be posting the choreography in multiple videos in different lightings and different things and just getting people to know, like, I made this dance. And she keeps putting in the caption, like, this is mine. And that's one way that she can get those numbers back. But it's hard when, you know, there isn't like a specific, like one set sound to the choreography that she's done. Like people use the No Love song, but then they'll also use Her Way by Party Next Door, like a sped up version of it. And then they'll also use the Junior Mafia song. So it's kind of like all over the place and there's no way to exactly tell. But for the story that I wrote, we said that, you know, we just used the No Love, which was the No Love Challenge hashtag had over 40 million views across all the videos that use the hashtag. So that's still a lot of views on that. It's hard to say who gave her the credit, who didn't, and exactly how that translates for Jordan herself, but she's getting it back in small ways here and there. So I'm curious to see like if she can make another dance and then how that will play out for her next. Yeah, I'm curious if she can make another dance and have it rise to this level of virality. It's tricky to do it once. It almost feels impossible statistically to do something like this twice. I want to turn to focus on some of the successes of the activist efforts of these groups. Earlier in this conversation, you mentioned the 2021 Black TikTok strike. Can you explain some of the common grievances, some of which we may have discussed already, um, some of which we may have not, of the TikTok strike and how the strike forced TikTok to change its platform in ways that people are interacting with on the app every single day today? Because it seems like there were quite a number of successful outcomes. Um, I mean, a lot of it, from what I've seen in my standpoint, is like a grassroots effort for people to put dance credit in the captions because a lot of people got eaten up in the comments. Like Charlie D'Amelio famously got eaten up when she did the whole Renegade dance and then didn't uh, credit Julia. And then after Taylor Wren's wonderful article on Julia Harmon helped her get the credit back, then Charlie then asked her to do a collaboration. So that's how I've seen, and that's something that I was talking about with my editor when we were asking, like, how did the TikTok strike have any effect on the app itself? And I was telling her, like, a lot of these creators now are either scared to get eaten up in the comments, or there just isn't really a big dance trend, because a lot of the creators know, like, if I put this out there, then it's just not going to be credited to me. And that has its own thing here and there. But with the Black TikTok strike, I think TikTok became aware of how creators are struggling on their apps and they're making changes. I can't speak exactly to what those are because like I mentioned, there was tools that they've created, but I haven't followed up recently to see like exactly what. There's um, something interesting about this, like being that it's 2023 now and you're writing about the story. And as you mentioned, the articles that have been being written for several years. And I think it does require the public, like the, the majority of the unknowing public to know that these things are happening. I think the typical consumer of TikTok doesn't want to think critically about where these th- how these things happen. No one wants to think critically. That's just <laughs> no. what people do. Right. <laughs> that's, and that's what makes your job, your, your job have staying power, too, which is that the importance and hopefully... I mean, we're living through some weird times, but I, I, my, you know, our, Josh and I, our goal is the constant, we have to think critically about these things, you know, like that's internet culture isn't 
on the internet. It's culture. And it's uh, the overlap is so big at this point that it, if we're not thinking critically about these dances, we're really not thinking critically about history, historical trends, and, and just anything in general. And so I think that that's what's, what's good about Time publishing this Rolling Stone, uh, New York Times, Vox, and so forth. People bringing this to the, the forefront, making sure that these are a, an idea that people can start thinking about. One of the, one of the things that I, I constantly am at, I'm wondering with the internet culture writers and internet culture at large, how much space or time do you have to talk about the, the history of lists, the history of black erasure or black visibility? And the idea that like a lot of these technologies, like especially like AI video games and so forth, are mapped, usually black characters are mapped onto white avatars. You know, it's like they're, they don't have an original creative space because it comes to the typical Silicon Valley bro who like develops this. And so I think people want to see Charlie as like, oh, she didn't know. But Charlie may not know, but she is participating in these bias systems. And if we're not thinking about it, then it just allows us to repeat it. So like I said, Jordan Williams has had this happen to her in 2023, three years after Harmon's piece. So how important is that for us to start thinking outside the scope of the article and making sure that we're drawing in a lot of these bigger issues? <laughs> I think trying to get anyone to understand internet culture is a struggle. Um, and explain to them, like, why people should know about certain things. Um, unless you have, like, numbers, like, real people. It's a new frontier for a lot. So I think that's why a lot of publications want internet culture writers, which I'm very grateful for because I'm, like, keeps me in the business. But I think once I'm able to, like, explain to my editors and show that I have, like, some sort of an expertise in this area, like, they're a lot more willing to let me do a lot of different types of things, which is really fun, but sometimes... There's just some things that it ends up not being an assignment. And, you know, there's a lot of other things. I also, on top of internet culture, I cover music, podcasts, books, television. Like, my day is always just stacked with things. So I always have something to write about. But I, chronically online, it's bad. Where I'm just sometimes, like, in the office watching TikToks. And they're like, are you doing work? I'm like, yeah, this is literally research. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, but, <laughs> and my my top editor, Kelly, like, we went to go get coffee and I was sitting here watching a Mr. Beast video because he had just op- uploaded. And I was like, we have to be up on Mr. Beast. So I'm like, yes, uh, yes, I'm watching a Mr. Beast video. I promise I'm doing work. <laughs> so it, it's it's fun, but I feel like my expertise in internet culture really helps me tell them what needs to be written about and why. So. Well, I'll just tell you now, I was going to mention this later, but I did a lecture this is one of my lectures in the semester is about accreditation or a credit credit for creators. And I use your article in the the class lecture because it was pretty important to for the students. And and I, I work at Queens College and it's a, a working class group of students who are really interested. Um, almost half of them are interested in some sort of visual presence. And I think much like the way that people start college with the pre-existential fear of student debt, <laughs> many people join TikTok and platforms with the pre-feeling of erasure, theft, the ideas of like comments and people stitching their own videos. Like there's this pre-knowledge of what the platform does to your content too. I was going to say like, I feel like a lot of them sometimes jump the gun a little too fast where they're like that's my content and sometimes it's not that it was like this reality tv like spoof this guy made i don't know bomanizer that he you know makes these like little reality tv skits and stuff like that and then another creator got popular doing the same thing but he credited him he, he started calling him out and stuff like that i'm like but he put you in the credit like what more did you need like i don't know 
Oh, no, that's a good point. I mean, it's my, I was just thinking about like, if you're a young person and you know this is happening, like, where do you see the next iterations of this? Like, how do you assuage the fears of young creators, especially black creators or people of color who are aware that these things happen? How do, how do we talk to, to creators and let them know that credit is going to be where it's due, hopefully in this future? Again, I'm chronically online and I, I like to think of myself as an optimistic person. But when it comes to the way that things persist online, I want to say I'm hopeful, but it's just, it's been three years, you know, of this and this problem just persisting and not getting any better. So it's like, I don't know what to say to these creators. I'm not an expert in that space. I would say if there is the issue of someone taking your dance, your trend, something that you've created and not giving you credit for it, the only thing you can do is just keep asking for the credit and like fight for it back, which sucks that people have to fight for the credit, but it's just people don't have media literacy, online etiquette, just a lot. So it's just, you're constantly swimming upstream with the way that the internet works. So it's just, you kind of have to take the highs with the lows. And that's why I always tell people who are content creators, celebrities, anyone like, I commend you for what you do because it seems really easy, but it is not. Creating content, coming up with the ideas, shooting it, editing it. Probably a lot of people don't do all that on their own, but like there's a lot of people that do. So when it comes to that, I'm always just like, do you? Could not be me. I cannot do that. My life as a content creator was many moons ago and I'll never go back to that. Are there any features that you hope TikTok can add that would immediately empower creators based on the struggles that you've discussed with them? That's a good question. I think the biggest problem is the small amounts of pay that they get from the creator fund. They make videos that go viral and they get like $20 or something like minuscule like that. I don't know exactly the numbers, but I've seen a lot of creators say, here's how much I made from a creator fund and it's pennies. Like not literally, but it might as well be. Yeah, well, it's like 20,000 pennies, but mm-hmm. still, <laughs> still. It's, it's way too little. Yeah, it's insane to me. I just, I, I think about it a lot. So Jordan knew that there's a loss of opportunity here, just like it was mentioned years ago. It's like that endorsement deals come from this. So I think there's a there's another way than the Creators Fund, which is also about like the last line in your 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 piece. Uh, William says they don't have a choice but to see me, and I like that tactic a lot. And you did mention it's a lot of work. You know, it's like you have to do like almost three times the amount of work to re- regain who's the original creator. But that I think is an exercise in a method of how to use this platform in a way, because I, I make my students make videos all the time. And I say to them, you know, it's, I don't, you know, I, I, I do it for video lectures, but I don't do it for like this. It's extremely brave, like putting yourself on video and out in the place. Like that's, that is so hard to do just before tech. It's brave. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I always like, am bringing up things to my editor and she's always just like, what, why are people doing that? I'm like, I don't know. There's like, 13 year old kids on there like doing their makeup and i just can't even imagine being a 13 year old putting up a video and millions of people are commenting on it oh my god that would mess me up for life and i just i wonder if those kids think about it but i feel like there's been a lot of education on how social media in general is just not great for people's self-confidence or mental health just in general so i think that could be another thing when it comes to what i think apps should be doing and what platforms should be warning people before they post to millions and billions of people is probably there should be an age limit for people who create content. There's also conversations about people who post their kids and, you know, how much money they're putting aside for them that they 
get from their content. Kat Tenbarge, obviously, does a lot of recording on that. And also Morgan Sung, uh, who's now at TechCrunch. They're both just two people that I, I'm obsessed with. I love them. So yeah, I think when it comes to that, I think, yeah, people should really be on top of like the way that young kids, especially teenagers and preteens, it's just the wild, wild west out there. So in that wild, wild west, we'd love to ask you a question that we ask as the final question for all of our guests, which is what gives you optimism in our current social media internet landscape, if anything? What reasons do you have to continue to hope for a brighter social media future? Hmm. I think just like the new creators on TikTok that are like trying to bring back what YouTube used to be, because I've been like talking with my editor about ways to cover influencers and people that I really enjoy. There's two people that I really do love. And I'm like, I watch all of their YouTube videos. Brittany Broski, that's my girl. She's one of the funniest creators on that platform. I'm a part of the Broski Nation and she is our leader. She just makes like these really funny videos and like vlogs. She did one where she dressed up like an Italian mobster and made prohibition cocktails. And I'm like, that is what YouTube used to be. And then Monet McMichael, she is so interesting to watch because she does like a lot of makeup videos, but also goes on a lot of these brand trips. And what brand trips used to be before Dramageddon, which I was telling my editor, Dramageddon was this like big shift in the creator economy because people saw that like drama was creating dollars, revenue, like attention to all of these people's videos. So a lot of these people after 2018, 2019 saw how this is persisting on different platforms. They're like, we need to get in on this and either manufacture drama or just put drama out there that they could have just kept to themselves. So seeing that, I'm like, I would love for pre-drama grad in YouTube to make a comeback. And I feel like there are some people that are doing that and it makes me excited. And I'm like, please, please, can we just have silly content online that I can smooth brain myself to? Like, just literally just, I don't even need to think about it. Just do your makeup and talk about your life. That's all I want. I think Jamie and I can both totally get in line with that. Jamie, as the 2006 YouTube scholar in residence, and uh, you and I, Moises, as the people that grew up with it. Yes, exactly. I love it. Uh, Moises, this has gone very, very quickly. Thank you so much for your time. Do you have anything that you'd like to promote or plug before we conclude this episode? Um, Well, my social media handles are Moises, M-O-I-S-E-S, F-E-N-T-Y, Fenty, like Rihanna's last name. I am a big Rihanna stan, both on Instagram and Twitter. You can follow my byline at time.com slash voices slash Mendes. And we look forward to seeing you in approximately one month at Memes, Myths, and Magic. Oh my god, yes. Yes, that's going to be so much fun. I can't wait. (laughs) I just talk about the craziest shit, and I'm like, well... (laughs) Come back for round three and you see what I can come up with. (laughs) Well, thank you so much again, Moises. And we'll have all of the links and references from this episode in the show notes. If you have any questions about how to get in touch with Moises, uh, or if you would like to read any of Moises' pieces. Moises, thanks so much again. Thank you guys for having me. This is so much fun. Thank you again to Moises Mendez II for taking time to join us on the Digital Void podcast. To stay up to date with our latest events, projects, and podcasts, you can visit us on the web at digitalvoid.media and subscribe to our Substack. We'll be back next week with BuzzFeed reporter Kelsey Weekman. Stay safe, 
stay healthy, and we'll see you soon.